0: Welcome to the ABR Podcast, where some of Australian Book Review's contributors read their articles or discuss them with ABR staff. My name is Peter Rose and I'm the editor of ABR. If you enjoy these podcasts, think about subscribing to the magazine. Those 25 and under can do so for as little as $25 for the online version or just $60 for print plus online. Greetings podcast listeners, my name is Christopher Menz and I lead the ABR Cultural Tours, which we present in association with Academy Travel. In October 2023 we will lead a 12-day tour of Vienna. This will take in the spectacular collections of the Habsburgs, the musical heritage of Haydn, Mozart and Beethoven and the striking modernist architecture of the city. Vienna, where we will be based throughout the tour, is an ideal city for an extended stay, and the program has been designed to make the most of its many attractions. Several musical performances will feature in the program. Full details are available from the Academy Travel website.
1: In this week's ABR podcast, we highlight our arts reviews, which continue to expand into film, theatre, music, visual art and more. Today's review comes from film critic Anne Rutherford, who considers Laura Poitras' documentary All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, winner of the Golden Lion for the Best Film at the Venice Film Festival in 2022. The film traces a campaign led by an artist, Nan Golden, to draw attention to America's prescription painkiller epidemic. As Rutherford explains, Golden's most spectacular staging was a die-in at New York's Guggenheim Museum in 2019 at which activists dropped hundreds of fake prescriptions from the top of the famous vaulted atrium, a blizzard of papers falling onto onlookers. Here is Anne Rutherford, Adjunct Associate Professor in Cinema Studies at Western Sydney University and the author of What Makes the Film Tick. In February
2: 2019, Artist Nan Golden and the activist group she founded staged a die-in at the Guggenheim Museum in New York. The group demanded that the museum refuse further funding from the super-wealthy art patron Sackler family, whose pharmaceutical arm Purdue produced and aggressively marketed the highly addictive prescription painkiller OxyContin. Launching the drug in 1996, Purdue CEO Richard Sackler declared that the launch of OxyContin tablets will be followed by a blizzard of prescriptions. The Sacklers pleaded guilty to criminal charges over their misleading marketing of the drug as non-addictive, but by 2022, an estimated half a million people in the United States had died as a result of OxyContin. According to the American Society of Addiction Medicine, four out of five people who try heroin today started with prescription painkillers. Golden herself was routinely prescribed OxyContin as a post-operative painkiller. She rapidly became addicted and narrowly avoided death after an overdose. In their meticulously planned action, as much performance art as protest, Golden's group Prescription Addiction Intervention Now, known as PAIN, prepared hundreds of fake prescription slips for OxyContin and converged on the Guggenheim on a Saturday night when the gallery was full. At the signal, they threw the prescriptions from the top floor of the massive vaulted atrium so that they fluttered over the crowd in a blizzard, while group members on the ground floor shouted demands and then lay down to die. Payne had previously held protests at the Metropolitan Museum of Art and other galleries But the visual impact of the torrent of prescriptions falling from the Guggenheim atrium was a stroke of genius. In a photograph published in the New York Times, the image put the protest on the agenda, along with its slogan, Sackler's Lie, Thousands Die. Golden learned how to stage a die-in from ACT UP, the AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power. In the 1980s, ACT UP developed a template for how to most effectively stage direct action. Protests should have clear demands, be specifically targeted to make the right people accountable and aim at achieving quick change. Driven by the slogan, silence equals death, ACT UP developed a striking visual language and learned how to attract maximum media coverage. Adopting these principles, Golden and Payne set out to grab the limelight and combat the silence around the epidemic of death, stemming from the opioid addiction crisis caused largely by OxyContin. They planned each action to work with the specific physical space of each institution, targeted times when the spaces would be full, and learned to speak through the media, not to the media. Laura Poitras's documentary, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, winner of the Golden Lion for Best Film at the Venice Film Festival in 2022, documents Payne's campaign to name and shame the Sacklers, framed around a portrait of Golden as artist come activist The film traces the campaign as it expanded its target, demanding removal of the Sackler name from public institutions, and the demands began to gain traction, and sway board members on the National Portrait Gallery in London, the Louvre, Tate Modern, the Victoria and Albert Museum, the Guggenheim, the Met, the Smithsonian Institute, Columbia University, and many other institutions. The impact of the protest movement was stunning. The campaign to expose the Sacklers' dirty secrets is one strand running through all the beauty and the bloodshed. When the film won Best Film at Venice, only the second documentary to ever win the top award. Poitras, in her acceptance speech, thanked the jury for recognising that documentary is cinema. Indeed, the cinematic crafting of the film by Poitras, editors Amy Foote, Joe Binney and Brian A. Cates, and Golden as musical consultant, is masterful. The protest footage weaves in and out of excerpts from Golden's signature slideshows and documents and home movies that reveal aspects of the biological family the artist left at 14. The film cycles between past and present in a constant movement between the still images and live footage, always held together by Golden's narration. The protests accentuate the need to contest the negligence of government's and institutions over the deaths of people considered to be on the margins, and the importance of continuing earlier traditions of civil disobedience. The slide shows delve into the archive of photographs that Golden has shaped into her presentations going back to the 1970s. They give the film the deep emotional resonance of memory and loss, particularly through the years of grief, at the peak of the AIDS epidemic in the United States. golden slideshow, Witness Against Our Vanishing, commemorated the experience of the artist and the community. As she says, it was like World War II. We watched everybody get wiped out and there was nothing we could do. Poitras says that the slideshows made her realize that the documentary had to go into the past. There had to be a convergence between that historical moment and what we're dealing with today because of the U.S. tendency to amnesia. The affective power of Poitras's film comes as much from the raspy, lived-in timbre of Golden's voice telling her story as it does from the intimate photographic segments, often accompanied by the moody, at times trippy music of New York's experimental sonic art group, Soundwalk Collective. The film is structured into chapters, each one opening with an excerpt from one of her slideshows. The artist has said that she photographed people she loved and knew deeply and returned to photograph them over many years. What I wanted to do when I was a portraitist, she says, was to try to feel what it was to be in another person's skin. The dilemma of being human that you never really know That's what I wanted to try to find out. I wanted the personal qualities of the characters to be viscerally apparent to the viewer. The power of editing these images into slideshows comes from the dialogue between the artist and the image. As she talks to a photograph, integrating it into a story of love and friendship, we are looking at the still photo, exploring all the feeling in it, drawn into that affective world of image and memory by Golden's voice, the music, and connections with the emotional landscape of our own histories and memories. In finding a form for the film, Poitras has understood and integrated Golden's fascination and pleasure in the act of looking and in the many possible meanings in a photo. The film engages us as viewers in this immersive exploration of what a photographic image can be, what it can do. Family is central to the images Golden took, her chosen family of friends and lovers. She says, a lot of us leave our blood families pretty early, and so early on I became dependent on my friends. For a lot of queer people, friends are very important. Golden was making images of sassy and courageous people, carving out spaces where they could invent their own identities, refusing normative social codes. Her archive is an extraordinary historical document of worlds that were but are no longer, of a world before AIDS, of the milieu she lived in as a young woman in downtown New York, eking out a life among people who, like her, found solidarity, sexual freedom, creativity and a sense of possibility among like-minded people. People who were running away from America and they found each other, as Golden says. She says, people used to say we were marginalised. Normal people were marginalised to us. The images are raw and intimate. She doesn't shy away from the dark underbelly of these worlds, economic struggle, drug addiction and dysfunction, or from revealing herself as vulnerable, at times messed up but also as a vital creative artist deeply engaged in the communities she is photographing. Golden's photographic work was initially received hesitantly, but she is now considered a major figure in the art world, and her slideshows are held in the permanent collections of major international galleries, including those where Payne was protesting. Golden knew how to leverage this status to exert maximum pressure on the Sacklers, and their art world beneficiaries. Golden's exhibition practice for much of her career has been to present the slideshows in a darkened space, a theatre, an underground club, with music and her voice narrating. She describes the exhibition practice as very communal, very emotional. There are descriptions of a rapt audience looking up at the screen and accounts of how noisy the events were as people would be constantly calling out to the screen, commenting on it. Even though we only see small segments of these slideshows in the film, they would often last 45 minutes and see them in a different context. Poitras's own practice as a documentary maker enabled her to recreate some of this intensity, albeit in the absence of that communal exhibition experience. When COVID struck and filming was interrupted, Poitras began visiting Golden in her apartment every week and conducting audio interviews. Golden describes the director as a very intense interviewer. The conversations went deep and they don't feel like interviews. They have the feeling of close friends sharing personal life stories. Golden had the right of review on the inclusion of these recordings. These conversations run through the fragments of the slideshows in the film. As viewers, we are participating in this intense rapport, the kind of connection that can only be achieved by a director willing to put herself on the line through this deep, intimate engagement. Poitras was an accomplished portrait filmmaker before all the beauty. She was one of the three journalists with whom whistleblower Edward Snowden chose to share his documents on the illegal activities of the U.S. National Security Agency. The director won an Oscar for her documentary Citizen Four in 2014, in which she filmed Snowden in secret meetings with The Guardian and Washington Post journalists who were preparing to break his story. In Poitras's film Risk in 2016, a portrait of Julian Assange, She initially worked closely with Assange and WikiLeaks until his attitude to the sexual allegations against him ruptured the affinity. Risk became a study of a flawed character and an organisation riven by all the usual sexual abuses. In an in-depth exploration of the contradictions inherent for her in supporting the principles of transparency and press freedom that WikiLeaks espoused while being highly critical of the leading personalities and culture of the organisation. Poitras is used to taking on big social justice subjects with weighty ramifications, but in all the beauty her canvas is broader, not just because of the expanded historical timeframe across 60 years, or the exposure of dirty secrets behind Art Philanthropy and Big Pharma. In this film, Golden's photographic work gives all the beauty a palette that allows Poitras to work through image and voice, through looking and listening, to plumb experiential depths. Golden's slideshows defy any separation between the personal and the political, and through foregrounding these images and the juxtaposition with the activist footage, Poitras has produced a film that fuses the two. Poitras is no stranger to Risk, after the Snowden film, the CIA attempted to have her listed as an agent of a foreign power, and filming the documentary on pain was no exception. As Poitras says, the Sacklers have vast resources. They were using lawyers, private investigators and other dirty tricks to come after people. The risk to Golden's career was also serious. She could be boycotted by the cultural institutions. But she says, when I get obsessed, there's no stopping me. Anger needs a target made of flesh. This is personal. Confronting this risk, Golden and the activists in the group learned what the artist had learnt from showing her photographic work. The courage to walk through fear. As the group has evolved, the members have drawn on this courage to confront the stigma around addiction, working to have addiction understood as a medical issue, not a moral or criminal one, and have lobbied for a focus on harm reduction, overdose prevention, and funding for rehabilitation, recovery centres, and medication-assisted treatment. All the beauty and the bloodshed opens up many questions about how businesses and individuals engaged in unethical, exploitative and downright criminal activities cover their tracks with high-profile philanthropic sponsorships. Golden describes this practice as money laundering. She says the Sacklers have washed their blood money through the halls of museums and universities around the world. In Australia, where the arts are increasingly forced to rely on corporate sponsorship, the contradictions in this contract reached a head in the 2014 artist threats to boycott the Sydney Biennale to protest the Biennale's affiliation with Luca Bongiorno then chair and major sponsor of the exhibition, who, through his company Transfield Holdings, was linked to the running of offshore immigration detention centres. More recently, the pervasive connections between major arts organisations and fossil fuel companies have been dramatically exposed in artist Gabriel de exhibition, Fossil Fuels and the Arts. Beyond these more high profile threads of entanglement, fossil fuel companies spread their tentacles and influence in myriad small-scale public relations exercises. Art washing, sports washing, green washing, pinkwashing and other strategies for purchasing social licence that spread like mycelium across our cultural landscape. Poitras has said that she hopes all the beauty and the bloodshed will serve as a bit of a blueprint for activists. The film should prompt much discussion around this model of business as usual, nothing to see here. All the Beauty and the Bloodshed screened at the Mardi Gras Film Festival in Sydney and opens in cinemas nationally on the 9th of March.
0: Thanks for listening to the Australian Book Review podcast. Join us again next week. If you enjoyed this episode, why not consider subscribing to ABR? Subscriptions start from just $10 a month for full digital access. Visit our website for more information. We'd like to thank Stacey Chan, who edits the podcast, as well as our contributors who take the time to read their articles and creative writing. And if you enjoy listening to the ABR podcast, please consider
1: leaving us a review on iTunes.